Hey everyone, and welcome to New Way, the podcast of the 1001 New Worshiping Communities Movement. I'm your host, Sarah Hayden, coming to you in the spring of 2020, a strange and unprecedented time for people around the globe. COVID-19, code for a new type of highly contagious virus for which there is not yet a vaccine, is now household parlance. The world feels a little science fiction-y right now. In fact, movies like Peterson's 1995 Outbreak and 2011's Contagion are topping the charts of streaming services like Netflix and Amazon Prime as we attempt to make sense of life in the midst of a global pandemic. For leaders within faith institutions and people of faith, we realize that this is a unique and important time for us to be authentic and to lead, lest fear and the internet have the only words. We offer this, our fourth season of the podcast, to you as we examine, as always, the connections between people, their communities, and the ways that context shapes faith. I think that Easter needs to be our crystal ball, certainly in terms of long-range thinking and hoping. You know, death is not going to have the last word. This disease will be conquered. How we handle it, how we face and deal with loss, how we care for one another. Those are the key questions that we are facing. Today's guest is the Reverend Dr. Joanna Adams, a leader and thinker known for building bridges of understanding within and beyond communities of faith. Joanna is a mentor and pastor to the city of Atlanta, where she has served as a guiding light to multiple congregations. One of America's most beloved preachers, Joanna has preached at the National Cathedral the Memorial Church of Harvard University, and the Chautauqua Institution. In her ministry, Joanna has been involved in starting more than a dozen life-changing nonprofit organizations. As always, as people of faith, we look to those who have provided wisdom and guidance in the past to help us navigate uncertain waters. I'm so very glad to welcome you today to the podcast my dear friend and mentor, JMA. Oh, you're so welcome, Sarah. I'm delighted to be with you and be a part of this uh, important ministry. Well, thank you. I don't know about you, but I never expected to give up this much during Lent. (laughs) Isn't that the truth? This has been a a season of shedding of um, all kinds of things we have taken for granted for for a long, long time, Mm. really without precedent. Um, It looks as if Lent... Even though the Lord will rise on Easter Sunday, uh, it looks as if we're going to have the season of Lent in terms of having to do without for a, for a good spell to come. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting, and I'm thankful that we are a part of a tradition that honors these different seasons. And I'm curious if you've thought, in the midst of this, I mean, we're only about a month in in, in the United States of feeling that shedding, as you said, of the things that we took for granted, came to rely on. And I'm curious for you, what does it mean to be someone who follows Jesus now, four weeks into the pandemic in the United States versus maybe last Lent for you? In my own soul, I feel uh, profoundly different uh, because I feel as if the world is in an unprecedented place, certainly in modern history. I can't remember a time where I couldn't see what might be going to happen next. And I think we are really in a time where 
it's really impossible to imagine what life is going to be like. The new normal for this particular time is that we are disconnected from um, our communities and in many cases our families and our friends and certainly our routines. Uh, We're experiencing loneliness. I certainly am. But I guess the word I I would use more than any is the word grief. Uh, I think Good Friday is going to be our day. You know, this is just a time of profound loss, and there's nothing we are going to be able to do about it to stop it. Uh, you know, how bad it will be, we don't know. I don't have a crystal ball. I, I remember uh, preaching some years ago uh, a sermon at Morningside entitled, Christmas as a crystal ball. I think that Easter needs to be our crystal ball, certainly in terms of long-range thinking and hoping. You know, death is not going to have the last word. This uh, disease will be conquered. How we handle it, how we face and deal with loss, how we care for one another, uh, those are the key questions that we are facing. We're not going to go back to the way it was, but we look to a time when there will be a new heaven and a new earth and crying and pain. Uh, All the former things will have passed away, but right now we are stuck in the middle of it. And that calls for a different approach to life from what we have known. The word crisis to me is inadequate because uh, this is going to be much more long range than any of us would want it to be. And we've got to figure out how to swim in these particular waters and how we're going to survive as a society and how we're I don't know how I'm sure there are people, with of, certainly of other faiths and people with no faith, who of religious faith, who nevertheless keep hope in their hearts and compassion as as a, and justice as key motivations. But Lord have mercy, I don't know what I would do without the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I don't know what I would do without uh, the empty tomb. Uh, you know, at a time when darkness covered the earth earth, we can identify with that. And yet, and yet, through the power of God, Christ, who was crucified, dead, and buried, rose again from the dead. And there is a force of life and love that outlasts everything, even death itself. To me, you know, the the line of our Presbyterian confession that begins... In life and in death, we belong to God. That's the source of our hope and our confidence. It's not that we're all going to live happily ever after. That's never been the plan. Mm -hmm. We're mortals. God is immortal. Death, ending, loss are a part of human life. I love the 90th Psalm. We read it in the NRSV as teach us, to number our days that we will gain a heart of wisdom. But the King James says, teach us that our days are numbered. That <laughs> yeah, that makes a finer them. point on it. That makes a finer point. Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. So we don't have faith in human progress, though we hope to God that our scientists and 
medical people will find a, a vaccine for this sooner rather than later. But loss and illness and disasters are it's, it's just a part of the human condition. Joanna, um, one of my favorite pieces of advice you've ever given was actually um, marriage advice, where you said the, the goal of marriage is to play your side of the court, mm-hmm. and, which I love. And, <laughs> and it makes me think what you're talking about is this living into the faith promises of our tradition and embodying them and feeling them and, and joining the world in grief at that Good Friday moment. And yes, I, I'm curious to ask you that question about playing your side of the court, knowing that you pastored in the midst of a city that where the CDC is located and you are a person who respects and listens to the wisdom that comes from science. And I imagine you and Al are hand sanitizing and following precautions that we have learned from our wise institutions. Yeah. And what does it mean to play your side of the court as a preacher in the midst of a pandemic like this? Is that important to you? Or do you do you spend time also thinking about as a congregation like, hey, you know, use your hand sanitizer people and journey to the cross? (laughs) How do (laughs) you balance those things? Well, I think for a preacher, for a minister, uh, we're essential to the spiritual health of millions of people. And we can't step back. People need to know, uh, is there a word from the Lord today? Mm. And you've got to preach it and you've got to live it out. And uh, I am so impressed with the incredible uh, effectiveness of the online presence of the church and of, you know, sermons. I, I think last Sunday I I set a new record. I listened to four sermons. <laughs> Boy, did I, I felt filled up for a while, you know, yeah. and, and everybody preached on Ezekiel. That's you know, right. I'm, I don't want to hear those bones rattle anymore for a little while. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but they, they were all wonderful sermons that were full of hope. Mm-hmm. And I listened to four because I needed my own sense of hope to be nourished. I, the sign that's over the gate of hell and Dante's Inferno reads, Abandon hope, uh, all who enter here. Uh, and that's what the Church of Jesus Christ has to offer. We've been entrusted with the responsibility of bearing witness in word and deed to the presence of God, to the healing power of God. We don't have to stand up and explain why this coronavirus appeared on the scene Mm -hmm. in 2019. I've forgotten who said this recently, but, you know, if you go to the Psalms, even the lament Psalms, they don't address the question of, you know, why did this bad thing happen? it's, It's not that they expect explain or excuse, you you just get the reassurance that in the midst of misery and loss, God is present mm. and that God will have a different word at the end of the tribulation. And that makes all the difference to me. Mm-hmm. I just remember how important it was in times of crisis, though I never pastored a church in a time with, you know, crisis 
suffering that's this extensive. But to sort of embody a non-anxious presence, to be in as close relationship as you can be through technology these days, to encourage people to obey the rules, but mainly to encourage them to hold on to the faith into which they were baptized. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that's going to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You know, Paul lists a whole lot of things that could do it, but I guarantee you coronavirus isn't going to do it. Yeah. I mean, as you said, you you have pastored in in different unprecedented times before, and and some of those were very personal um, within the congregation, times of grief or challenge, um, or times within the city of Atlanta or Chicago where trauma was felt and experienced in a way that was a paradigm shift for people, shook the foundations um, for family members, members of the congregation. And in those moments, as you prepared to give a word, from the pulpit. I'd love for you to reflect a little bit upon your relationship with the Holy Spirit at that time. I mean, did you also wrestle? Did the the words come easily for you? Did they come at the, as you walked into the sanctuary that moment? And how did God's presence of wisdom um, encounter you? I, I, I like that question because I had, wrestled all of Friday and Saturday of um, after 9-11. Is there going to be a word from the Lord? And about five o'clock on Saturday afternoon, I decided there wasn't going to be a word from the Lord. <laughs> I, you know, I'd, I, 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 TikTok, I, yeah. <laughs> I was going to preach on the 46th Psalm and I was writing on the computer, but you know, it was sort of like back in the olden days where you, you know, write on a legal pad and then you tear the page off and wad it up and put it in the trash can. I'd, you know, I'd filled up, sort of metaphorically speaking, three trash cans full. And <laughs> and yet I took my humble offering into that sanctuary. And the sanctuary was, of course, full. But what it was full of was the Holy Spirit. People had come to worship together, and they'd brought their grief and dismay. And there was just this coming together of human spirit and Holy Spirit and the ancient truths of Scripture that, you know, were beyond any human control. And I found, whether it's with, you know, very tragic memorial services or in national issues, we're just vessels. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's another force at work, mm-hmm. and thanks be to God for that. And you just have to trust that it will show up and that God will show up, and God doesn't fail. What you have to do, I think, in a crisis if you're a pastor is— and you've heard me talk about this before, Sarah, but, you know, the prison of the self where you think, well, how am I doing? And how is this sermon going to be? And am I going to be up to this task? And, you know, you're just all in a state about yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's the prison you've got to get out of. Yeah. And remember that you've been called to uh, to a, a task that not many are called to, 
and that you've, in a lot of ways, just have to get out of the way and stop stewing about yourself (laughs) and have compassion for the people that God has entrusted to your care as the shepherd of the flock. Mm. I love that that image of the prison of the self and Mm. just that sort of the tragic embodiment of the, it as preachers, it is so easy to shine the spotlight on ourselves. And as you said, that this is the be all end all for everybody. And um, this freedom um, we seek to offer, you know, it's speaking words about God and the irony of in the process of doing that, we are imprisoning of ourselves. And just yes. It's got to be perfect. It's got to be the best sermon. That, that's it's right. got to be the one people want to listen to mm-hmm. online. Wait, that's right. Um, that's and right. having, yeah, as you said, having compassion for people. And also I think inviting at this time for preachers who are listening, think about the compassion that God has for you. Yes. Beautifully put. Yeah. Yes. That's so true. God doesn't want you to, twist yourself into a pretzel you know just what god wants you to do is to trust that the word is living yeah and that uh as long as you're breathing in and out you can handle it Mm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but there's also the just to go back to 9-11 yeah i'm just thinking of how just instantly People were in touch. What can I do? What can I do? I remember we had a blood drive in the fellowship hall, and the place was just packed, and people lined up for hours to give blood. And I I remember a a mother who had a two-year-old and like a two-month-old, and the two-year-old was going crazy, and the baby was crying, but she was not going to leave Mm till she had given blood for people she didn't even know in New York City. And people want to help. And it's not just you. You know, you're the person who, you know, makes sure the flock gets in the pen at night. But, you know, your job really is to empower other people and to show them by your own compassion what they can do, what we can all do together. Mm-hmm. That's what's so important to to know, and especially to know what you're not good at yourself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and make sure that you have conduits for people to use all their different kinds of gifts. You know, there's some who are supposed to be preachers and some who are supposed to be teachers and some who are supposed to work at the soup kitchen. And, you know, we all have different things where we're, God's calling us to do. And I, you know, just to know it's not all on you is a very, very freeing thing, the, mm-hmm. the helping people claim their gifts and use them for the common good, for the furtherance of the kingdom. That's Mm. one of the most satisfying things in the world. And, you know, people say, well, we can't do this, we can't do that because we don't have the money. Well, listen, I've found that money and the, you know, the financial resources always follow when there are people who are allowed to express their Christian faith, their discipleship of Christ in ways that use their gifts. You know, I can't tell you how often I have seen that. Two or three people can change the direction of a congregation. Two or three people can 
change the world, as Margaret Mead said. Yeah. I'm thinking about an elder in a church I served in Atlanta who had spent the night at a night shelter where she had stayed awake all night because there was a six-week-old baby in the room next to her with her mother, both homeless, of course. And the baby had cried all night because the baby had an earache. And it was the elder's first name was Dolly. And it was Dolly's job as the volunteer to shoo everybody out of the shelter at 6.30 in the morning. Well, it was a March morning, and it was rainy, and it was cold. And Dolly watched as this mother holding her sick baby walked down the driveway of the shelter to Boulevard. She asked herself, where in the world are they going now? She was a librarian at Emory, and she came to see me about 2.30 that afternoon, just in a state, and she said, what are we going to do about that? And our house, the shelter that we started, day shelter for homeless children, was the first day shelter in all of DeKalb County. It just celebrated its 30th anniversary. It merged with another shelter, and it's just a fantastic place that offers all kinds of support to the children and their families. Because one person signed up to spend the night <laughs> but one person yeah. has been transformational for so many people that's what i mean about claiming the gifts of everybody the yeah. empowerment of others i can, i think i'm going to i'm going to put a pin at that point in this podcast and just to listen to it when i wake up in the morning for the next 3 months oh. <laughs> the story that you just told oh and yeah. you know i've got to ask the question as a as a lifelong follower of Jesus and a lifelong church person, I know that the Lord guided you and Dolly in those moments. And I, and what I'm really, I'm curious when Dolly came into your office at two thirty that that afternoon after spending the night in the shelter and watching this woman walk away with her sick baby, and she said to you, "What are we going to do about that?" Do you remember? What, I do remember. Yeah. I, 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 I said, you know, people, she saw mm -hmm. and she came and shared what she saw. And you can't think about that yeah. and walk away from it. No. So I was at North Decatur at the time. And so I, you know, we had lived in Decatur. And so I called some minister friends and other friends and invited them to sort of a crisis meeting uh, the next week and we met in the session room at North Decatur and I think I'd invited about 12 people and about 25 or 30 people showed up and nine months later we opened our house people came from all over the city because they wanted to do something they didn't want babies out on the street mm -hmm. who were sick yeah and it was just amazing. And actually, again, just all kinds of different 
great people from different churches and uh, some members of the Jewish community. One of our biggest donors and supporters was a great member of the temple whose uh, whose husband owned Ace Hardware in Decatur. Oh, yeah. And they were so generous in uh, helping plan and support the whole effort and own it went. And it's just what we what we have is not a shortage of material resources. What we have is a scarcity of the capacity to feel compassion. And when people can discover that in themselves and in their community, things change. And I've been so touched and inspired by the generosity of people, particularly our healthcare professionals and the way people are just bending over backwards in every way to try to help a neighbor one way or another, to try to help the suffering, comfort the grieving, and who are doing so, many of them, in genuinely sacrificial ways, literally laying down their lives for other people. The nurse with three kids at home, the, uh, you know, the worker in the hospital cafeteria uh, with kids at home, (laughs) they're just there because that's what you do if you're human. And it's, it's the sign, that's the sign that, to me, in the face of death and loss, life emerges. You know, that empty tomb says that. In the face of what appears to be a hopeless situation, even out of death itself, at its darkest point, life can and will emerge. And that's just it. That's the basic reality made possible by Christ. And I hang my hat on that, Sarah. I hang my hat on that every day. You always know of a word for our time. Oh, well, thank you. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. <laughs> That's right. Well, I would, I would say that one thing that, that uh, worries me, I yeah. don't mean to be Miss Sunshine. I'm actually myself, I wouldn't describe myself as uh, an optimist. I would say I'm a hopeful realist, uh-huh. and I'm very well aware that everybody's not going to be loving. But I think this might be the test of our generation as to whether or not we continue to be deeply polarized and mistrustful of our institutions and whether we get down in the mud pit and fight with one another over limited resources and that sort of thing. Or do we come together? And, you know, I'm I'm sort of with Dr. King. You know, we are woven together into a common destiny. And uh, what affects you affects me. And um, our son Sam had me just weeping the other day. You know, he spent a lot of time in India, and he said, I'm so worried about uh, people who live in India. He said, you know, the, they live on the money they make every day. That's, that's all they have. And if they aren't making any money, they can't buy anything. And so I've just been a wreck about the... <laughs> about people in India. And, uh, you know, we've got to realize that we, as Dr. King said, we live in this big world house, and we live in it together. 
we are all connected because we're all children of the same God. And God loves all of us, not just our kind. And it's just so important to remember that web of mutuality that that is what keeps us human and without that and without cooperation we're sunk yeah and maybe that will be you know the out of great tribulation if you look at the scriptures in the old testament particularly out of even the worst things there are blessings that emerge and those blessings are what will take us forward if we can just claim them and hold them close. And the blessings of these times is to remember our connectedness with the rest of the human race, the preciousness of the people who are closest to us, uh, the value of each day, the time to, this is easy for me to say because I'm not living in a slum in India, but, you know, for me, the time to, reflect more deeply on things and to, um, you know, play with the dog a little more than I usually do. It's Those are good things. Mm-hmm. Kiss my husband mm-hmm. more than once. Good. <laughs> Extravagant, yes. Joanna, uh, I could talk to you at 2 p.m. every day, and I'll, I'll just be listening to this again and again for wisdom and centering and direction. Um for this particular time. I'm just so, so grateful that our lives have been molded by your life and ministry. Thank you so much for this time. Well, but but beautiful words that mean the world to me, and it's just been a real blessing to be on this program, and uh, just blessings to you and uh, to all, all those who are listening. Uh, let's keep the faith, everybody. It's been really heartening to hear the different ways in which our neighbors have reached out to one another for support, camaraderie, sharing of income, sharing of resources during this unique time. Uh, If you're looking for a way to stay connected, we asked our podcast guest, Joanna Adams, and she recommends an integrated nonprofit in Atlanta called In-Town Collaborative Ministries. You can donate to this organization and you can find out more about it by visiting their website, intowncm.org. Thank you for listening to New Way, podcast of the 1001 New Worshiping Communities Movement. Our producer is the fabulous Martha Ames Sanders. You can visit our website, newchurchnewway.org, and see stories and photos of the humans involved in this movement on Instagram at 1001NWCPCUSA. Catch you next time. 